Okay, good morning. So we got home yesterday afternoon from Guatemala, and um, I made it. I'm surviving. All right, yay. And uh, I told the team I would leave just this scruff on for at least one Sunday. So before anybody says anything, just be reminded somebody else had a beard, okay? Just saying. <laughs> All right, so don't, don't get on me now. But it was a, a great trip, and as we were doing the, uh, um, Jeff invited the ushers up. I was thinking that, uh, you know, that w- because of your generosity, uh, we dug our sixth well in uh, Guatemala. And part of the beauty of it is that we, we went to this village, it was about 7,000 feet above sea level, um, and, uh, which is high if you're trying to breathe, and I, I noticed, uh, and went down 280 feet into the ground to find water for this place, and they were so overwhelmed. They'd been praying, and some had been fasting for two years uh, when they heard about this group that that dug wells, and they said this was the first time any gringos had ever come into their village to serve them, to do something for them. I thought, what a privilege that we have uh, to just simply go in the name of Jesus and to dig a well. So the the day that we got water, uh, it was so amazing because uh, as the sun was going down and there was water coming out of this pipe, there was a spontaneous worship service, all these people from the village just came around where this water was coming out, and they started to pray. And as Pastor Troy's told you, they don't just take turns, they just all pray uh, at the same time. And there was this, this prayer meeting that happened to thank the Lord uh, for water for the first time, for pure water. Disease uh, has been rampant in this village, and um, and to see these mothers who realize that they have fresh water for their children, for their families, just remarkable. So thank you for being part of that. And it's good uh, to be home. I, I was thinking this Sunday, is, this Palm Sunday, as Aaron said, and, and we're celebrating the beginning of the Passion Week. And it's so interesting. We call it the triumphal entry. Uh, we, we call it Palm Sunday. We have all these names for it, but nothing really can quite describe what was happening on this day as the, the king of the universe is entering into Jerusalem, who is starting this chain of events that has been planned for all of eternity, uh, for our salvation, for our redemption. And, it's in a, and, and the final stage of it, the, final, uh, the next to the final leg of the journey uh, is happening that we celebrate today, the final leg of this journey uh, Jesus will take with a cross uh, on his back. But on, on this day, he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And uh, it, it, we call it a triumphal entry, it's, but it's so interesting because looking back more than 2,000 years later, we recognize the fact that Jesus is entering into to, to Jerusalem to die. I wouldn't exactly call that a triumphal entry. That's not exactly sort of the entry that, that we think about. In ancient times, uh, kings 
would ride out to battle with their entourage and they would they would have the best horse and you know the the steed the war horse and and they would have all of their soldiers and their entourage and their music and everything that that would follow them out of the city and it would be this great procession out of the city as they were moving toward battle uh, and then they would have the battle but you know what was really important wasn't so much how you went out of the city but was how you came back to the city and did you come back the the victorious king and in many cultures in ancient times that the way you would come back wasn't on your war horse and wasn't on your great steed or on your chariot with all the pomp and circumstance but the way that you would come back would be on a donkey and it would be a symbol of peace and so a victorious king might just come back riding on a donkey as a symbol of the fact that he came bringing peace to his country, uh, peace to his people. And and so, so many times we would love to see Jesus coming, you know, in on a fiery chariot. We would love to see him come in in some spectacular way, but he comes in as the Prince of Peace. He comes in not with big ceremony, but although there is, there's a crowd following, but he comes as the King of Peace. Uh, that he comes to take the violence that's happened in our lives and and in our world, and he's come to bring us peace. And that's what we're looking at this morning as we look at the passage beginning in Luke 19, verse 28, it says this, and and when he said these things, he, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. This is Jesus, and when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, which are two kind of suburbs, if you will, uh, of Jerusalem, uh, he, uh, he came to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. And he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever said it's a donkey and he says untie it and and bring it here and so Jesus now is making preparation. It's something that's been long planned, this entry into Jerusalem. And he, so he's very specific with his disciples. In fact, he tells them that if, when you go into the village to get this donkey, that if the owner asks you, what do you need? Uh, why are you taking our donkey? Tell them that the master has need of it. Tell them that the Lord has need of it and they'll let you take it. And God had orchestrated all of this. God is moving history for our sake. And it's all starting to fall into place now. And so his disciples get this donkey and they begin, uh, and Jesus gets on this donkey and begins this procession uh, into Jerusalem. Now, uh, Jeff talked about John 11 last week. He talked about Lazarus and and that, that that was in Bethany and there were people that were close by. And so some of those people that saw Lazarus being raised, they were part of this crowd that began to follow Jesus into Jerusalem. And as they walked, more people joined the procession and more crowds began to gather. And so there's this huge group of people. Uh, and it says that in verse 35 that of Luke 19, that they brought it to Jesus, the, the, uh, the donkey, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, uh, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen, including what they had just seen with Lazarus. And they shout, 
uh, with a loud voice for all the mighty works they'd seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, because the God of the universe, the Son of God, has come. And the last stage is underway that Christ is about to finish what he began. And the crowds are cheering as they follow Jesus and they're laying down their, co uh, their cloaks and their palm uh, branches before the colt, riding a donkey colt, a symbol of peace. And I think we have a picture, hopefully, maybe, of uh, the, as you can see, the Mount of Olives to the right, and that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and that's a place that Jesus would often go, and, and that's where he would stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that, that, that where he was so close to. And then you follow the red line down uh, to the eastern gate of Jerusalem where Jesus would enter. And he comes riding into Jerusalem, leading this amazing procession, uh, the triumphal entry. But there's going to be a collision, as there so often is, between two pictures or two different views of what glory is, two different ideas of what it means to be a king. Uh, a Messiah, and Jesus is the only one that sees this coming, that, that there, the crowd is there, and so many of them are waiting now for Jesus to proclaim himself a king and to overthrow uh, the Romans and to establish a kingdom there on earth and to begin to change everything and to fix all of their problems. And what they don't understand is that Jesus' idea of glory is that he's come to give his life as a ransom for our sins so that we might have life. And so we have these two conflicting views of what glory is. And isn't that so true in our lives? Isn't that true often in our lives that we come to God, but we have this conflicting idea of what the glory of the Lord is? In our minds, the glory of the Lord is fixing all of my problems, making my life good. I mean, really, God, making my life great. That's my idea of glory. So often my idea of glory is me getting glory. That that's the view that, okay, Lord, I want, come on, I'm one of the good guys, I deserve this. Give me glory, but the Lord's view of glory is always coming in humility, with peace. It's a different picture than we have, and we're gonna see this collision as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And we talk about Palm Sunday, and the reason we talk about Palm Sunday is because they were laying palm branches in front of this donkey. Um, now, can you imagine uh, what's fascinating? Uh, one of the fascinating little sidebars on this is that, that this is a colt that's never been ridden, and here you have these people, and they're throwing cloaks on the donkey. They're throwing palm branches uh, at the donkey's feet. They're, they're, they're crying in a loud voice, Hosanna, glory to the king, uh, all of these things, and you have this cult that's never been ridden, seems to me to be a recipe for disaster. But Jesus knew all of that. And this cult just uh, went along with Jesus, allowed Jesus to ride him. Sometime we'll talk about what it means to be a, a wild cult and to, and to have the peace of the master, the peace of Christ with you, riding with you and how that changes everything. You know, a lot of uh, people in our day think Palm Sunday is sort of an innocent children's parade, but it wasn't anything close to that. Uh, sometime before Jesus' day, the, the, the temple got rededicated. In fact, the Maccabees had a, a short time of victory uh, over 
the people who had conquered Jerusalem. And so from uh, 164 BC to 63 uh, BC, there was a period of peace and, and palms were used uh, for the rededication of the temple during that period in history. So the palm, palm branches for them sort of became a symbol like maybe the American flag is for us, a symbol of our freedom and, and, and who we are. And palm branches were part of the rededication of the temple and it became this national symbol uh, of their freedom. So here's what was happening is, as Jesus is riding in on this colt, the Prince of Peace, People are putting palm branches in front of him as a national symbol of the freedom of Israel, that their idea of what was going to happen is that Jesus was going to come and free them from uh, the Romans. And, and so it was, it, was, it was what amounted to a war cry that they were a symbol of Jewish nationalism. And during two major wars that Israel had with Rome, the Israelite rebels would even mint coins that they would put, uh, and they would put palms uh, pictures of a palm tree, a palm branch on the coin that they minted. And it was a lot like the, the Boston Tea Party uh, w where we threw the tea over. And, and later, even today, the idea of a tea party has symbolism for us. And I think we have a picture. They have found some of those coins. Um, and, and so that's a picture of an ancient coin with a, a palm branch on it that symbolized their freedom and, and a symbol of nationalism. So they are all, they're, they're uh, declaring war against the Romans because the Messiah has come and they think that it's gonna turn out uh, that way. So a palm branch wasn't a child's plaything, it was a declaration of war. The triumphal entry wasn't a little innocent parade. Um, that, that, in, that what they were experiencing was, what, was a conquering hero who would bring the spoils of battle home and the people of Israel are cheering for this. They're cheering that, that the Messiah has come and they will get the spoils of war. They will get the victory. This was a military statement and you can tell the expectation of the crowd in Jerusalem uh, by what they cried out when they saw Jesus. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and that's what they were expecting. That's what their glory looked like that day. And Jesus is coming in very differently. Jesus is coming in with a very different picture of what glory is. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. What they mean is blessed is the one who's going to overthrow Pilate, who's going to overthrow Herod, who is even going to overthrow uh, Caesar. It was a very intentional and very deliberate statement. And the crowd is overwhelmed with Jesus. They've seen what he's done. They've seen the, they've seen the blind that can see. They've seen the deaf that can hear. They've seen Lazarus come out of his tomb. They've seen all of these things happening. And now they're waiting for the Messiah the, who is finally here to overthrow the Romans uh, to set everything right to bring glory back to the nation of Israel but we also know that in less than a week they're going to scatter and Jesus is going to be falsely accused and then the crowd probably paid by the religious leaders will shout for him to be crucified and if you think that if you think that what they really thought was that Jesus was the king that Jesus was the Messiah there would have been a revolt right then there would have been a war right then but when these two ideas of glory collide, everything changes. And all of those people that were just cheering now is scattered and everything is going to be different. So what's the point of all of this? Why a triumphal procession if we're just gonna go down in flames in a few days? What's the point of this? I know what I would have done if I were Jesus, I would have just hung out at the gates for a while. I would have sort of enjoyed all the praise, I would have enjoyed all of the glory, all the 
you know, people shouting my name and shouting Hosanna to the king. And, and I would have done that for a while. And, and, and then, um, uh, you know, and, and what, what if they're wrong? And their intentions are good. They like me right now, you know. I, 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 they're proclaiming me the Messiah, the King. I'm just going to enjoy this for a few minutes. I'll come back to that in a, in a second, but let's go on with the story. Luke 19, 40 to 40, 41 to 44 says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus, as he's getting to the gates of the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Isn't it interesting what Jesus says in the very first part of that? that he drew near to the city and he wept. And he said, would that even you would know on this day what it takes to have peace, what it takes to receive peace. And, and he says that there's coming a time when they're gonna hem you in and there won't be a stone left. And, and, and a roughly 70 years later, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. It was torn down stone by stone. And Jesus said, if you just knew that today was a different kind of glory, today I'm offering you a different kind of peace, today is a different kind of Messiah is with you, you would have looked at this whole thing so differently, you would have had such a different experience. That's what I've come for. Right here, Luke gives us this remarkable look into the heart of Jesus. Why did he weep? Because they had missed it. They missed peace, and they missed the moment that God visited earth. God came, and they missed it. And within a generation, Jerusalem would fall, and the temple would be destroyed stone by stone. But on this day, Jesus isn't simply entering Jerusalem as a king, but he's going to enter the temple as the king, a different kind of king. Look at Luke 19, 45. It says this, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold uh, in the temple, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So what had happened in the temple? That over the years, things had changed. And over the years, in the, court, in the outer courts of the temple, it had become a marketplace. And if you were coming on Passover, for example, and you were coming from far away, there were some things that were required of you. You would have to buy some kind of sacrifice. And depending on your wealth and your status, you could buy certain things. You could, you could buy a goat uh, to sacrifice. You could buy a lamb for sacrifice. But if you were poor and you couldn't afford one of those, that you, you could buy a, a dove and, and for a very cheap or two doves and you could sacrifice that for, 
for, the, for the sins, for the, the, the distractions, for all of the things that had happened that had separated you from God, that you could offer that sacrifice to God for the, not only your sins, but the sins of the people. And, and so you, you couldn't come for a, on a long journey with a perfect lamb or, or to keep the dove. So when you got there, you could just buy them from the outer court. And, and so stalls were set up and there were vendors there and they were hawking their sacrificial animals. Uh, and, and we know that in Bethlehem, not far from, uh, not far from uh, Jerusalem, that there were shepherds uh, who on the night that, that Jesus was born uh, were tending their sheep. And, and we know that those sheep were uh, traditionally, tradition says those sheep were the sheep that were used for the sacrifice. So later on, they're going to be sold in the outer courts for sacrifices. Uh, and you could buy them there or you could buy the doves that you're going to sacrifice there. So there are vendors there with their tables set up and they're yelling at you and they're calling uh, at you. It's like this farmer's market only craziness. It's like combine a uh, combine this this uh, this big uh, farmers market with uh, with Wall Street, right? And they're screaming and they're calling. They're trying to get your attention so that you'll buy from them. But you know what happens is that you've come from a far away, and and so you don't have the right kind of currency. And so now you have to go to another place before you can buy your sacrifice. And you've got to give them your money, and you've got to exchange money. And they're going to make a little bit on that. And and what they make on their money, they're going to give a cut to the priest. So the priests are making money on all of this stuff. And so the temple has become this marketplace where people are yelling at you and people are competing to get you to come and exchange your money. And then you're going to go over and buy this sacrifice so that you can offer it to God. And all through this chaos, the priests are making a profit on all of it. And, and the Prince of Peace comes in and he sees this going on and he sees that this represents the temple of God. This is the place in the, the Hebrew religion that the presence of God was said to dwell. This is the place that you would come to offer your sacrifices and your prayers to the Lord and God would hear you there and he would answer your prayers and as Jesus comes in, he sees that it's been turned in to this mess, this carnival, this place where they're, they're selling uh, and, and they're exchanging money, they're selling the animals for sacrifice and as he gets in there it's overwhelming to him because this is the place where the presence of God dwells this is the temple of God and Jesus gets a rope and he ties it up into knots and he begins to swing it around and he begins to drive all of those people out of the temple courts and he overturns the tables and uh, the animals are, are, set, are let loose and he clears out this temple with all of these vendors and all these crowds of people and all of the noise because he says, this is my father's house and this will be a house of prayer. And it's so interesting, the contrast that we have where, where Jesus has just come in in humility and peace on a donkey. And then we see him sort of change all of a sudden and, and, and get angry with what's happened to his father's house. And, and Jesus begins to rearrange the furniture in his father's house. He drives out those merchants and he turns over the tables and he lets these animals go free because that's not what God intended. That's not God's picture of glory. That's not what it means to live in freedom. This is the temple of God. This is the place where the presence of God dwells in. And you have to make the comparison, if you think about it, to the New Testament, where the apostle Paul says to us that you are the temple of the Lord. 
that your body is the temple of the Lord. And now, 2,000 years later, through what Christ did on the cross and through the resurrection, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, and we are the temple of the Lord. And he says to us that, you know, when you, when the, when the king comes into your life, I'm going to guarantee you one thing. He is going to rearrange the furniture. He is going to drive out those things that have corrupted our lives, those things that have kept us from him. Because this is now the temple of the Lord. This is now the place where God lives, where God dwells. It's within us. And that matters. And see, the problem is so often in our lives, we don't want the king to rearrange the furniture. We don't want the king to come and clean house. We just want the king to come and make us better. We want the king to come and give us glory and fulfill all of our desires and all of our dreams. That was the problem that was going on with the Israelites that day. And Jesus said, no, I have come to cleanse you so that you're ready for my spirit to live in you. So you've done everything that your house is ready for my spirit to live in you. So there are three things, there's three things that I would like you to remember this morning, if you will. The first is that Jesus was not taken by surprise by anything that happened. He knew what he needed to do. <laughs> He didn't look around and wonder what he would do if a great chariot wasn't available for him that day. He wasn't surprised by the donkey. He planned the donkey. He was a different kind of king, a king who had come to give his life as a ransom for the world. He was aware of what would happen. He wasn't surprised, and he is not surprised by anything that happens in our lives either. He's the king. The second thing is that he doesn't come the way we expect him to. In our lives, we find ourselves in situations in which Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. Isn't that interesting that we get frustrated because the God of the universe doesn't meet our expectation? It seems if we really understood who he was, that the goal would be for us to do everything we can to try to meet his expectations. But what he simply does is he comes as the king of peace, the prince of peace, we don't get what we expect, but we get exactly what we need. The temptation is to think that this whole Christian thing doesn't work when we don't get what we want. But we, what we see here is that Jesus is the Lord and he's not necessarily coming to meet our expectations. That's not his job, but he is the Lord and what we receive from him is always what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. And finally, when the king comes, you can expect him to make some changes. Jen and I have, uh, Jen and I have a show that we love um, called Fixer Upper. And Chip and Joanna Gaines are the stars of this show. And what they say is that they take the worst house in the best neighborhoods and they make it into your dream home, right? And Chip's favorite day, have you ever watched the show? Yeah. Chip's favorite day, if you watch that show, is what? Demolition day, right? It's demolition day. It's when you just come in and you rip out the cabinets and you rip up the floors and you just come and demolish everything. You take down walls and all of that. And he's always in the show. That's always his most favorite day is demolition day. 
And I have to think, I'm not sure if it's the Lord's most favorite day, but I think that for our lives to become what God wants them to be, there has to be a, a demolition day in our lives. There has to be a renovation that things have to come down and things have to get moved out in order for the spirit of Christ to live in us. When the king comes, there needs to be a demolition, a demolition before the real renovation can happen. The irony is that when the king approaches our lives, we're confronted with what's wrong in our lives and, and what we're afraid to let go of. And when Jesus comes, he wants to renovate our hearts as a place of prayer, a place where the presence of God can live. Jesus is the king. He's a sacrificial king, and he lays down his life, and we don't want to miss him because we were looking for something else. We don't want to miss when the king comes because we were looking for someone else. We had a, the wrong expectation, but we want to be prepared when the king comes. We don't want to miss him because we were looking for a different kind of king because he is the king. So I ask you this question. If the money changers had known who was coming that day, do you think that they would have prepared any differently? If the money changers had really known who it was that was going to enter the temple that day, do you think they would have prepared any differently? So here's the question as we begin the Passion Week. How will you prepare your temple for the king? How will you prepare your heart for the coming of the Messiah? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this picture that you give us of your kingdom and, and who you are. And Lord, forgive us when, when we have the wrong expectations. And Lord, we're so close to missing you because we've thinking about it all wrong. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would prepare us. You would prepare our hearts and our minds for your coming. That, Lord, as we celebrate not only your triumphal entry, but we prepare to celebrate the cross and the resurrection, Lord, that we might be a place where the Spirit can dwell. Lord, do whatever demolition needs to be done in our hearts and our minds so that we're prepared for your renovation. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.